Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Is this not the greatest place on earth? I'm just sitting back here watching, golly. It is one of my greatest desires that what I have the privilege of doing in here with you on Sunday morning doesn't stay here, that it goes out. It goes out. You hear me? I regularly say that because I regularly pray that, that what God does in here would move out there. And when I'm watching us strip the table of those ornaments and then people calling us and saying, is there any more? than the 49 y'all had? Is there any more we, we want to help? And I'm watching your generosity that you, you gave in here make a difference out there in little Brooklyn in the parking lot and the, the, the thing that we're doing. Y'all, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do me a favor. Give yourself a round of applause for being the best church. Y'all ready to hear God's word today? Man, I'm, I'm really excited. We've, we've been in this series Thank you, Isaac. We've been in this series, uh, A Walk with Abraham, and uh, it's, it's been great. We've been talking about Abraham's physical journey, but really realizing it was a spiritual journey, and that there's a lot that we can learn from Abraham's journey and really apply it to our own lives. And I'm going to take just a second and kind of recap uh, for those of us who may be joining us for the first time, or maybe you missed a couple of weeks. Abraham is the father of faith. And we know that because we talk about his faith often in Scripture when we read the stories. But when we dig into this journey and what actually got in there, we start to realize that it's not just faith that's in his life. There's also moments of fear and moments of failure. We've talked about that fear and that failure, and we realize that faith and fear have this in common. How do you remember what, what they have in common? Neither one can see the other side. Oftentimes, our, our journeys are paralyzed because we don't know what's going to happen if we take that step, so we stop. That's fear. But the truth is, faith doesn't know what's going to happen if we take that step either. Faith just says, hey, I've got the courage to get out and trust God. Fear drains me of that courage. And we talked also that if you choose fear, it's going to take you to a place that you never should have gone. And when you're at that place that you never should have gone, you're going to end up doing things that you never should have done. That's been part of this story. We, we learned that God gives promises, but doesn't always give time frames. Remember that? God said he would, but he hasn't yet. And so as a result of that, when we confuse those two, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. And that can be a struggle. Just as God's blessings are generational, so can be the consequences of our actions. It's important that we don't take matters into our own hands. And then last week, we spoke about how the cutting away of things that don't look like Jesus in our lives is a necessary part of our spiritual growth. Nobody likes the cutting, but we like looking like Jesus on the other side of that cutting that takes place. So we, we welcome that, and we welcome the people that do that. I've been playing off this theme of hitchhikers when we choose fear over faith. It's like we pull over and we allow a hitchhiker to get into the car, and we see how that choice brings challenges and unintended consequences along the way. And today's character is not a hitchhiker. Today's character is actually an original passenger in Abraham's journey. 
and he makes some choices that keep him from finishing the journey with Abraham. Could you imagine being a part of Abraham's journey and seeing everything from the beginning, all that God promises, all that God instored, all the miracles that he walked through, and then somehow by your own choosing, you don't get to participate in the finality of it. Imagine taking, being a part of the original journey, a passenger on that car, and then realizing through your own choices, you've now disqualified yourself. You're not able to be a part of that. I'm going to introduce you today to a character by the name of Lot, L-O-T. Let's dig into Genesis chapter 11. Let me tell you who he is, and then I'll tell you the story. Genesis 11:27 27 through 32 says this. Now, this is before God's promise to Abraham. It says, now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. He had three sons. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran, who's Lot's father, died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So Grandpa Terah takes grandson Lot under his care. Y'all following me so far? All right, keep going. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, in other words, the place that was named after his son, when they came there, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So here's what happens. When grandpa dies, guess who is now taking care of nephew Lot? Abraham. Abraham's now taking care of his nephew. So I need you to understand this. In the car, so to speak, isn't just Sarah and Abraham. It's also Lot. So everywhere that we've read so far over the last several weeks that we've read, it wasn't just Sarah that was with Abraham. Who was there also? Lot was. Who else besides Sarah was aware of God's promise to Abraham? Lot. Who else besides Sarah went into Egypt when Abraham let the hitchhiker of fear that God wouldn't provide? Who else was there? Lot. Who else was in the car when Hagar, the servant, jumped in and now became an option for doing things in his own way? Who else was there? Absolutely. Who else was blessed with wealth when God saved them in Egypt? Not a trick story, not a trick question. Who else was there? Lot. Lot was there. One of the greatest moments, well, I'll say it this way. Isn't it just like God to bless your kids when he blesses you? How many of you have seen that in, in your own life? Yeah. Lot goes to Egypt with Abraham. Abraham comes out. God's grace and mercy. He's blessed. And now Lot's blessed as well. Isn't it just like God to do that with your kids? But isn't it just like your kids to forget that they were blessed because of you, not because of, of them? Yeah, it kind of happens that way. One of the greatest moments of realization for an adult child is when they realize that they need their own relationship with God. How many of you had that conversation with, with your kiddos. I, I recount Pastor Jacob telling me the time that his adult son moved out of the house and he said, okay, son, we're about to find out for the first time whether God's blessing and favor is on your life because of your relationship with him or whether it's been on your life because of his relationship with me. We're about to find out. And this is kind of setting the, the, the tone for the story that we have here. Genesis chapter 13. Let's dig in. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. That's, that's a desert. So I need you to get this picture. He's, they start off over here in Ur of the Chaldeans. He makes his way to the promised land. 
and goes to trust God that God's going to provide. A famine comes in, and he decides as a result of the famine, he doesn't think God's going to provide for him. He buys into that lie of fear, and he goes all the way back over here into Egypt and realizes that's not where he's supposed to be. He's making his way back along this journey, back to Canaan, back to the promised land, the place that he last met with God. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Side note for those of us that have experienced detours and failures in our lives, when, when you take a detour and you get back with God, you don't have to start all the way back over, do you? He didn't have to go all the way from Egypt and say, God, I screwed this up. I should have trusted you. Let me go all the way back over here where I started and then start all over again to get where, where did he go? He went back to the last place that he met with God. That should tell us something about our lives as well. Because I know you, you're like me. Sometimes I think I'm going to straight and narrow and then something happens. I'm like, ah. Please forgive me. And I'm so grateful that we serve a God that says, hey, I haven't moved. Just come find me right where you left me, and we can start right over again. How many of you are grateful for that kind of God? That's what we see here in this story. Verse 5, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, life's, of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Whose idea was it to resolve the conflict peaceably? Abraham's idea. He's saying, look, I'm going to be the bigger man here. I'm a, you, you get to choose. You get to choose. Abraham had seniority. This is Uncle Abraham. He had seniority. He could have chosen which side. He could have very up and said, Lot, this ain't working. You go west. I'll go east. He could have said, Lot, this is how it's going to be. You've got no choice in it. But what did Abraham choose to do? He came to his nephew, and he decided to give him preference to his nephew. Hey, listen, you side, whatever direction you go, I'm going to go the other direction. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, man, Lot should have done the same thing. Lot could have very easily said, Uncle Abe, you've done a lot for me. You brought me from a place I never could have got on my own. I followed you to some messed up places, but your God got us out of it. And listen, you tell me where to go. I'm going to acknowledge who you are in my life and I'm going to choose. Does Lot do that? Yeah, just like a kid, huh? Man, it's tough. Look what happens, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan River Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other could have chosen to defer to Abraham, but he looked up and what did he see? Something that looked real good to him. He says, hey, I know where I'm going. There's a desert in this direction. There's a river valley in this direction. I'm going this way. Look what happens. 
What happens? Abram then settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And look at this. And there he built an altar to the Lord. You see this phrase often in scripture, he built an altar. I'm going to ask you today, what's an altar? What, what does an altar mean? It's, you see this often. It's, it's a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of worship. An altar is a place to remember. And it's also a place to go seek counsel from God. And one of the reasons why I love Freedom Conference here at our church that we do, because it gives you a moment where you get to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, this is where God set me free from this thing. I came into this struggling in this area, but as a result of participating in freedom, I now have freedom in my life. And if I ever struggle with this again, I don't have to start all the way back over. I get to go back to this altar that I built in my life and know that God was with me. I had freedom in that moment. Y'all with me? Yeah, we had have, we have the same thing like last weekend during worship when we opened the altar and everybody came down and sought prayer. I've heard from so many people, it wasn't just those that, that got prayer that were blessed. It was also those who were able to pray for those who needed prayer that were blessed as well. That happens at an altar. It happens at an altar. There is a pew at the church where I grew up and I call it a pew because it looks just like the one you're seated on, but it has no back to it. It's actually in the front in this altar. And it was at that altar 20-something years ago where I set my face down before the Lord and prayed, God, if you can make the finances work out, I sure would love to go to Bible school. And to this day, every time I'm trusting God for finances and believing that he's going to work something out, I go back to that altar in that moment where I realize God did it for me then. He's going to do it for me now. How many of you know you need to have some altars built in your life? Every time that God brought Abraham to a new place or blessed him or promised him, what did Abraham do? He built an altar. He built an altar. Here's what I, how I would define an altar. An altar is simply an acknowledgement. God, this is for you. This is for you. Now, that's Abraham's perspective. Let me tell you what's going on in Lot's life. Now, 2 Peter that we went through a couple weeks ago tells us that Lot was a righteous man, a title that Scripture rarely gives to individuals. Lot was a man of God. He just had one problem. Lot had tents, but he had no altars. Lot had tents, but he had no altars, no place to sacrifice, no place to worship, no place where he would remember what God has done, though he was a part of the things that God had done, and he had no place to go and seek counsel. So here's where we find ourselves. If, if an altar is an acknowledgement that, God, this is for you, then what's a tent? Well, a tent is this, God, this is for me. This is for me. Abraham made a life of, he had tents, but he built altars. And Lot only had tents and had no altars. And what you're going to see in future chapters is Lot's decision to go to the Jordan Valley may have looked fruitful for him, 
but it ultimately cost him his entire family. And can I tell you, I know Christians that are like that today. No altars in your life. Oh, they love God, right? But they don't take the time to seek counsel. They don't remind themselves of God's faithfulness. They, they lift up their eyes, and instead of looking to God, they make decisions based on their own desires or what would be easy for them or what would bring the most amount of, of wealth to them in the moment. That's contrary to what I see Jesus telling us we should live our lives in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Lot had a choice to make, and he was making a choice that would seek to save his life. And instead, what ended up happening? He lost it. It cost him. They could no longer live together, Abraham and Lot. Things had gotten too big. They had different reasons and different, different motives. Was it, was it really an issue of space? Was it really an issue of space? No, no, no. It was an issue of perspective toward their wealth, toward God's provision, and where they would put their trust. Let me explain now. I need you to understand this if we're going to apply this story to our lives today. Do you remember where Abraham and Lot were from, the place where they grew up? Remember? Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, you remember that? Do you remember where God called them to go? Canaan, the promised land. Where were they detoured when famine came and they bought into fear? Where did they detour to? Egypt. Where did they come back to when they realized that wasn't the place God wanted them to go? Where did they come back to? They came back to Canaan. Here's what I need you to understand. The region where Ur was located was in Mesopotamia, and it was cradled by two rivers. It's called the Fertile Crescent. And the abundance of water and the abundance of everything nourished there, it was like a garden, Scripture tells us, where they were from. They didn't have to depend on anything. Nature flourished because the water was readily accessible that was there. Y'all see that? It's where they're from. Where God called them to go, right, and where they ended up over here in Egypt, Egypt is located very much like Ur, there is the Nile River Valley. It's lush. There's a lot of greenery there. The resources are plentiful and easy to come by. Provision was abundant in that kind of environment. Where they're from, where they detoured, there were rivers. But where God called them to go in the region of Canaan is very different. Famines are very likely in this region. It's desert. It's arid. It's rocky. There's no rivers. And the only access to water or irrigation comes from where? Rain. You've got this picture of a place that has rivers, but not God's blessing, and a place that has rain, and now they have to trust. Who gets to decide when it rains? Yeah, who gets to decide when you walk over to the river and take a bucket and get some water? You do. Who gets to decide when it rains? This is where Abraham was called to go. Do you remember later when the children of Israel escaped captivity of their 400-year slavery in Egypt and they're in the desert and they start complaining? They're on their way to the promised land, left an area that was full of rivers, full of, of, of richness and wealth. And here they are saying, man, we'd rather be in slavery and have fruits and vegetables again than to have to deal with this trusting God, not knowing where everything is going to come from. God was teaching them to rely on him Rely on the rain, whereas before they could rely on self as they relied on the river. Y'all seeing that? 
in the story? I need you to get this because it's important to us. You and I will face the same choice in our spiritual journeys too. Will we trust God and the rain, his ability to provide for us? Or will we trust in ourselves in the river where we can make things happen on our own? That's the choice that was before Lot. And listen to me. You don't need the rain when you have a river. You don't need the rain when you have a river. And before Lot is saying, hey, Abraham, saying, Lot, you can go wherever you want. He's thinking, man, I've been trusting God. This stuff's hard. Dealt with famines, everything else. I know what it's like to live next to a river. I remember the good things that happened when we were over here. How easily we forget the wickedness of the areas when we're off track and we only think about the good things that happened in there. Oh, I know I wasn't in the right place with God, but things were sure going my way. Didn't last, did it? Now he's saying, hey, you give me a choice, spend the rest of my life trusting God for rain or get to walk to the banks and get a bucket of water myself. Lot chose the river. He didn't choose the rain. Lot wasn't wrestling with Abraham. He was really wrestling with this question. Can I trust God will provide for me? Can I trust that God will provide for me? Think about this. He had no altar. He had no habit of seeking counsel in his life. He didn't have God's promise. He only had his preference. And instead of submitting to those above him, deferring to Abraham, he took his liberty and he went out without covering. Now, I personally think that uh, had he deferred to Abraham and Abraham would have said, hey, Abraham may have said, hey, you go east and take that river valley. He may have said that, but we'll never know because he never asked. How many of us miss out on the things that God would have given us if we'd have just taken time to ask, but instead we did it our own way and it didn't work out for us? You're going to see later in the story, we won't get to it in this series, but as you read your Bibles, you're going to see God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness. What if Lot was always supposed to be there just after the wickedness was destroyed, but he took matters into his own hands and decided he wasn't going to trust God, he's going to trust in himself, and now he ended up being a part of all of that. Do you see how you can trust God and stay right where he wants you to be? Or you can look to yourself and get up right in the middle of where you're not supposed to be? It's a big deal. I need you to, I need you to understand this. And here's my question for you today if you haven't picked up on it. Are you trusting in the river? Are you trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in the rain? Are you trusting in God that he will provide for you, that he will make a way? I want you to look to your neighbor and say, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. Tell them they look real good today in church. Ask them if what they're wearing will fit you. What you see is what you get. Now listen, when you choose the river, two thoughts and then we'll close today. When you choose the river, you forget, number one, not everything that looks good to you is actually good for you. I happen to be a huge fan of some cheeseburgers, chili dogs, milkshakes. I'm going to let you into my private life for a second. I really like zebra cakes, those little Debbie zebra cakes that are on the, on the thing. You know what I'm talking about? They're zebra cakes. Don't make fun of my zebra cakes. Listen, that looks real good to me. Every time I see it, even thinking about it right now, I'm wondering what Kayla has planned for lunch. And maybe there's a zebra cake left in the box in the pantry that I could help myself to. Listen, 
Are those things good for me? No, they sure look good though, don't they? Yeah, listen, and if your pastor started eating them as often as they look good to me, I would not look at the man I am today before you. Listen, not everything that looks good to you is actually good for you. Look at this. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his what? His eyes. He was looking. He lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Stop right there. Did it look good to him? Was it good for him? You get a little hint in scripture. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Obviously, if God rains down hellfire and brimstone and wipes this place off the map, it ain't going to look good after the fact. No, but it sure looked good in the moment. Now, look at the difference. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your what? Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Look at the difference. Lot's eyes saw what he preferred. Abraham's eyes saw what he was promised. What you see is what you get. If you look in life and see your preference, you're going to get it. But it might not be good for you. But if you look up and lift your eyes to God to see his promise, that's the thing that's going to be. It might not look good to you right now. But how many of you know all things work together for good? For those who love God are calling according to his purpose. Listen, and I'm committed. We're not stopping there. We love that as Christians. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. For those who love God are called according to his purpose. How does it continue? What does verse 29 say? Because of those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. Good's not the goal, church. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the goal. If it's not good, then he's not done. I get it. I get it. But if it's not Jesus, he's not done. And he's after something in our lives. If you look for your preference, you'll get it. But it won't be good for you. For them, it was where to live. But for us, it can be as practical as how we consider wealth. What is your provision going to do for you? How are you going to set things up? What are you going to do with your life? All these, you start to worry. Well, I want to do this. We, it starts young. We ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Man, we should start asking our kids, what does God want you to be when you grow up? What does God want you to do? What are some of the things that he puts on your heart that you want? That's a, not what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You can be anything you want to be. Yeah, and it might look good to you now, but it might not be what God has best for you. Do you see how subtle this lie is it's here. Look at this. I've never seen this before. Matthew 6, 21 through 24. You know this first verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The very next verse. The eye of the lamp is, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Then he goes from right there talking about wealth and where your eyes are. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Look at this. It should sober you up. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot trust in the rain and go looking for a river. 
You get the choice between the two. Lot had the choice, and he decided, I would rather trust in the river than wait for the rain. The way you look at money and provision will determine its power over your life. Who's your provider? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it God? Because listen, if you believe and act like God is your provider, you've chosen the rain. But if you're fearful that you have to make it happen on your own, then you've chosen the what? You've chosen the river. You've chosen the river. Here's the second thing I want you to remember today, and then you can go get some cheese do- chili dogs and cheeseburgers and leave the zebra cakes for me. I better, they better not be. Y'all better leave the zebra cakes on the store, at the, on the shelf when I get to, when I get to Rouse's later. There, be, there better be some. Your children, look at this. Build your life in a place of promise, not in a place of preference. Build your life in a place of promise, not in a place of of preference. Follow me on this, church. Your children will fall in love with the places where you invest. They'll fall in love with those places. Sports, travel ball, stadiums, sporting events. Your kids will fall in love with those places where you invest. Hunting, fishing, all good things, but your, your kids learn to fall in love with those things. They don't just wake up and love to do those things. They love to do that because you're invested in those places. They see how much you love those places and they love you. And as a result, they love the places that you love. Now, listen, I'm not bashing sports and I'm not bashing hunting and fishing. I love them both. But I'm just telling you, to the extent that you love them, your kids will love They don't grow to love what you love. They grow to love where you love. They don't grow to love what you love. They grow to love where you love. Let me get more practical to you for just a second. Our kids must be told to be in church before they will ever choose to be in church. They got to see it. And listen, I love you too much to let this go and just just not not cover this. There there are too many people that I talk to later in life and their children get older and they said, they just won't come to church with us anymore. And it breaks my heart when I see somebody who has a child that can't drive and they tell me he decided he didn't want to come to church today. Are you kidding me? He decided he didn't want to go to school and you made him go. He decided, hold on, I'm, I'm not done. Hold on, hold on. You save it. It's coming. He decided he didn't want to eat his vegetables, and you made him. He decided he didn't want to go to bed, and you made him. What makes us think that they're that young, they get to decide whether or not they want to be in church? Don't just applaud here. I want you to serve here. I love that you're here. But if the extent of your worship is I come and I sit, what are your kids watching? Your kids are going to watch you serve or they're going to watch you sit. Which one is it going to be? Don't just greet here. I love that you come in and we have a moment in the service. Everybody's friendly and greeting and, oh, it's great. And how are you doing? Good to see you. Shake your hand, fist bump, high five. I love that. But are you giving here? Are your time and your talents and your treasures sewed up in the middle of this place such that your kids can't determine the difference between where you love and what you love when you're here in this house? One of the things I love most 
about my children is this very fact right here. They love to be in church. Those of you who know my kids know that. I actually punish my children this way. You don't get to come to church early with daddy. You got to stay and come later with mama. It's like the most devastating thing that can happen in my household. We don't get to go with you early. We get, okay. okay, I love that. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's not what your kids see in church that makes them want to be here. It's what they see in you when you're here that makes them want to be here. When they see you lifting your hands in worship and there's no other place they know you. They see what you look like when you get out of bed. And they see what you look like when you raise your hands. They see what you look like when you let that word slip that you've been trying not to keep saying when they do the thing that they've been trying not to keep doing. And they see you come with tears in your eyes asking God to forgive you and thanking him every single way because you know you get to walk in freedom. Not in perfection, but you get to walk in freedom. Your kids won't love church because it's church. They're going to love it because what they've seen it do in your life. You're with me? Find me some parents that love church, and I'll show you some children who love church too. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing, and I think about Kristen and Chris Judy sitting over here on the front row. All three of their kids participating in worship. How does that happen? It's not like one of them takes to music, one of them takes to worship, and the other two go do their other things. No, no, no. No, they're all in. All three of them. It's not like they have a child sitting there waiting, well, this just didn't work. No, they've got a mom and a dad in the home that have said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And if the doors are open, we're going to be there. And they've got kids that grew up in a house that didn't know any different. I think about Mike and Paulette Delahousse, who have never not been contributing to their church. The result, not just their kids, but their kids' kids. Half the time, they can't decide whether to go to the Broussard campus or the, or the New Iberia campus because both families are in church and they want to be in church with their kids. We've created a problem for them. But I'm telling you, there are dozens and dozens of examples here. If you will fall in love with this place, your kids will fall in love with where you fall in love with. Y'all with me? Lot's preference of where he would build his life ultimately cost him not just his immediate family, but also his entire lineage. Abraham's promise of where he would build his life ultimately secured a land for generations to come, 7,000 years and counting. So here's my close today. I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to trust in the rain and not in the river. I want to challenge you to trust in God's plan and his provision and not in yourself. And for some of you, let me tell you, this may mean that you, you got to stop building tents for your present and start building some altars for your future. You gotta start creating some of those moments. You gotta stop acknowledging, I did this, this is for me, and start saying, God, this is for you. You did this in my life. My wealth, my, my health, all that I have are ultimately yours. You don't get an altar when you need one unless you made an altar when you had the opportunity. You may be here today and you may be building your life around some things that may look good to you, but in the end, they aren't good for you. 
And I'll tell you, society will tell you, keep up with the Joneses. Keep up with the Joneses. But the Bible says in Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may be here today and you may need to repent for trying to be something that God has never asked you to be. You've been choosing your preference instead of his promise. You've been investing in things that aren't going to generate the fruit. I hate to be the one to tell you, but your child's probably not going pro in that sport. They're probably not. Now, if they do, I hope they love church and they tithe back to their home church. But I'm just telling you, it's probably not happening. But I'll tell you what will happen. There will be a day when their marriage is struggling and they need to reach over and grab the hand of their spouse and pray and declare God's word. And it might just come up empty if it's never been put there in the first place. You know that time has come. You're investing in that. Let's make sure our kids invest in that. Quit trying to build something in your life that God's never asked you to build. Take the moment and ask him, God, should we be involved in this? Kayla and I have five children. The opportunities for their involvement are limitless. Limitless. But we made a decision a long time ago. This is where we're going to be. We've missed state tournaments. We've missed championships. We've missed playoffs because they got scheduled on Sunday morning. It's tough. It's hard. But I promise you this. I'll tell you what my kids will remember. They may not remember that home run, but they're going to remember standing up here saying, I'm going to see a victory. I love that, and I want that for your kids. Some of you here today will need to recommit, not to the Lord. I know you love God, but you need to recommit to the place that he's called you to build. You need to start serving. It's time. It's time for you to start giving. It's time for you to start modeling for your children what worship looks like. Don't think that they're going to come here and get it by osmosis. They come here and they'll get it by observation as they watch you today. Bow your head and close your eyes for me for just a second. And I also understand here today that every week there are those who may not have a relationship with God. And you may have been attending for some time now, and today is the day that you're ready to commit and build your life as a follower of Jesus. You say, well, Pastor Don, how do I do that? How do I do that? I know that I need it. How do I do it? I would tell you it's as simple as A, B, C. A stands for admit. What do I need to admit, Pastor Don? You need to admit that you're a sinner, that your own choices, your own preferences have chosen to rely on yourself instead of relying on God. And the result of your choices, your sin has separated you from a righteous and a loving God. That's how it starts. You just being able to admit, you know what, God, you're right. I chose for myself. I admit that. God, you haven't moved. I've moved. And after A is B, and B stands for believe, that you would believe that God sent his son Jesus to live a life you couldn't live, to die a death that was yours to die and pay that debt for your sin that you couldn't pay. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I admit, and I believe that Jesus is God's son, the savior for all the world, then all you need to do from there is see, confess. Confess him as Lord and 
Savior. I know when life's a mess, Savior's the easy part. God, help me. Jesus, take the wheel. But it's the Lord part that really matters. Are you ready today to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I'm tired of living things my way, doing things my way. I want to live them your way today. And I got great news for you, church. You may have never prayed that prayer. You may have never asked God to come and live inside of you. You may have never asked him to be Lord and Savior of your life. But if you can A, admit, B, believe, and C, confess, and the Holy Spirit has done a work in your heart, and you're ready to be born again. Every head bow and every eyes closed if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never prayed that prayer today, but I want to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to build my life as a follower of Jesus. I've never prayed the prayer before to be born again, but I'm here now. I want to ask you to do this right there where you're seated. Nobody's looking around. It's just between you, God, and me up here on the stage. I want to ask you to raise your hand and look up at me. I want to be born again. I want to build my life with Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else here today? I'm looking. Raise your hand and look up at me. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Up in the balcony. I'm looking. Fantastic. Fantastic. One more time. Pastor Don, I didn't, I didn't pray to be born again. Thank you. I see your hand. Church, I want to ask those of you that have raised your hand, I want you to say this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. God and his Holy Spirit has done that. But I'm going to ask every single person in this room to pray this prayer with you as I lead you. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those who were born again today.